This is Northwest This Week with your host, Mark Christopher. So here's what's going to happen. From late Sunday through early Saturday for the full week, among our reporters, our news anchors, and editors, we've covered just about everything 24-7. But there's no way with your busy schedule you can listen all the time. This is a way for you to catch up. Whether you only got a headline, maybe you want more depth to the story. Stories here locally and nationally that uh, affect us here locally. It's quite a program. It's always useful. And if you get to our website at nwnewsradio.com, we have it available as a podcast for your listening convenience. And we archive all the shows on our website as well, so you can go back weeks, even months for that matter. We've got quite a few to share for this week. Property tax levy to pay for crisis care in King County takes a big step forward. King County's new district attorney outlined some changes to the office, and there's apparently a new push to protect all your health data in our state. These are just a sample of the stories. The Washington State Supreme Court this past week once again took up the fight over capital gains tax. Carly Johnson with the latest. March of last year, a judge in Douglas County ruled the capital gains excise tax approved by lawmakers two years ago does not meet constitutional requirements and is invalid. Former Attorney General Rob McKenna agrees and argued today before the state Supreme Court. Voters made income as part of property part of our fundamental law and not a single court since then in our state has questioned that conclusion based on the plain language of the Constitution. State attorneys are arguing the tax is an excise tax, not a tax on income, and only the wealthiest Washingtonians will be subjected to the tax. A person can own limitless stocks or bonds, can hold them for years, they can increase dramatically in value. It is only when they sell the assets, when they sell the stocks or bonds, that they owe the tax. Now, the system is targeted to go live in February. If the court eventually finds the statute to be unconstitutional, any tax Tax payments received will be promptly refunded with interest. Carleen Johnson, Northwest News Radio. A billion-dollar property tax levy for mental health services in King County. Barreling toward the April ballot, we found out. John Lobertini with details. The Budget and Fiscal Management Committee spent all of 12 minutes vetting the measure. The proposed levy is projected to generate one and a quarter billion dollars. Dollars for five crisis care centers, urgent care for people suffering a psychiatric episode. Miranda Leskinen, legislative analyst. It would restore mental health residential treatment bed capacity and expand treatment availability. Starting in 2024, the nine-year tax would cost the average homeowner $10 a month. But council member Claudia Balducci cautions about the unknowns. Cost escalation being what it is, I am very much in favor of being really clear with what we're proposing to the voters. The first centers won't be built for several years, but the measure would immediately expand mobile psychiatric crisis response teams for moments like 911 emergencies. Council member Sarah Perry. What is the cost of not providing the most effective, efficient, cost-saving approach? It is a staggering cost. A vote as early as next week could put this proposed property tax on the April ballot. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. You're listening to Northwest News this week. As of the start of the new year, all Washington State employers are supposed to post a salary range for the positions they hope to fill. California and New York City have essentially identical laws. Taylor Telford had a closer look at the story here for the Washington Post and shared this with our listeners. You know, here in Washington State, and I think in a lot of parts of the country, if you're a city or a public sector job, you have always had to have the, the pay range posted. But how quickly are private companies able to comply now? Yeah, that's a great question. The answer varies for everybody, but overall, it seems like companies are having a bit of a tough time making this adjustment. Compliance is lagging pretty heavily in a lot of the big job markets that have had stuff on the books for a little bit, like California and New York City. And overall, it just seems like 
there's a lot for companies to puzzle through when it comes to the different patchwork of legislation and also the actual task of puzzling through setting salary ranges. I took a page out of your book and I glanced at some of the job postings for Seattle for the big companies like Boeing, Microsoft, Starbucks. And they all have really massive pay ranges for some of their Seattle-based corporate jobs, a hundred grand or more in some cases. That can't be helpful for job seekers, right, to have that big of a range? Definitely not. When I spoke to job seekers, a lot of them expressed a great deal of frustration with the way that they've been encountering these ranges because the whole purpose of these laws are to, you know, call attention to inequities in pay and really put that power in the employee's hands to kind of level the negotiating field. But it's really hard to do that when you're encountering a range that, you know, could be anywhere from something like 50k to $200,000. That's really not saving anybody any time. But on the employer side, their argument is basically that there's just so much that goes into setting a salary range when it comes to where you might live, uh, what kind of experience you have, all that kind of thing. And so on their end, they feel like these really wide ranges are still fair and well within the kind of good faith realm of what they're willing to pay. But Certainly for job seekers, I don't think it's having the intended effect. What about for small business? Because, you know, not everybody has the HR army of Walmart or Google. What kind of burden does this present for a small business? This is definitely a much bigger challenge for those smaller companies than it is for those big companies that are already used to hiring and recruiting in all those different jurisdictions. And the risk certainly for those smaller companies is a lot higher because they don't often have the expertise on staff that can help them figure out how to navigate this stuff. And so the consequences of getting it wrong can be really, really tough. They might be facing pay discrimination suits down the line or facing thousands of dollars in penalties for noncompliance with these laws. So it can be a really, really heavy lift for some of those smaller companies, even the ones who agree that this is the right direction to be moving it when it comes to the pay conversation. I found it interesting to see in your reporting that some companies are just breaking down altogether. They're posting salary ranges for all their open positions, regardless of location. How common would you would you say that is from what you were able to see? Yeah, I don't think it's super common yet. I think it kind of comes back to that size question. The companies that have made that decision are big ones like Alphabet and IBM and Wells Fargo, ones that are just kind of already recruiting in that national or even international perspective. It's not as much of an adjustment for them to make a move like this, especially given that at this point, about a dozen states and municipalities across the country have enacted laws like this, and there are more that are pending. So this is certainly the way that things are going. It's not going away. And so for the companies who have been able to make that switch, I think that would be a good thing. But for a lot of other ones, they're probably going to struggle to kind of make this adjustment. There's more to this story, like the impact on the gender pay gap, generational divides, too. You can find it all from Taylor Telford online at WashingtonPost.com. That's Taylor Van Syce of Northwest News Radio. A new proposal in Olympia would provide protections if you skip meetings where your employer talks about religious or political beliefs. Current law allows your employer to require you to attend meetings where their politics or religion are on the agenda. But under Senate Bill 5417, they wouldn't be allowed to punish or fire you if you refuse to go. Protected 
religious organization employers would be exempt. Washington State Labor Council President April Sims says this is really about employer union-busting meetings that come with threats for not attending. During many organizing drives, worker activists and organizers are fired with the flimsiest of cause, if any at all, which sends a crystal clear message to other workers on the job. Bob Battles with the Association of Washington Business says, I think employers have the right to bring their side of the story to the table, and that is only done through these meetings, or only can really be realistically done through these meetings. And Battles says it's also likely federal law would preempt this bill, which could land it in the courts. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. Boeing's top officers are hinting at major new airplane orders in the pipeline as the company announces a big quarterly loss. Still recovering from the pandemic and still struggling with supply chain issues, Boeing today announced a fourth fiscal quarter loss of $663 million. But revenue hit $20 billion for the quarter. And Chief Financial Officer Brian West says there's more where that came from. We booked 376 orders in the quarter and have over 4,500 airplanes in back valued at $330 billion. The executive suite is excited about the recent news. Finally, airlines in China are once again flying their long-grounded 737 MAX fleets. New MAX deliveries to that nation, though, are less certain. And I'm not going to guess when deliveries may or may not start. Chief Executive Dave Calhoun. But most importantly, within China, they need the MAX to fly to satisfy those demands. The MAX continues to be a bright spot in Boeing's sales portfolio. Calhoun says the Renton factory is making 30 one a month now and could within a year or two increase to 50 a month. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. A story of some of our big business here in the state. Washington apple growers are expecting a pretty good year domestically, but they'll have their challenges when it comes to exports. Frank Lindsay explains why. The Northwest Horticultural Council tells the Columbia Basin Herald that the main problem is retaliatory tariffs on apples. In 2018, then-President Trump imposed a 25% tariff on steel and aluminum from most nations, with the exceptions of Canada and Mexico. That's according to the U.S. Bureau of Industry and Security. India put tariffs on apples in response. Before that, Washington sold about $120 million worth of apples to India a year. In 2022, though, it was only about $3 million. Another challenge has been port congestion, but that started to ease up a bit. Canada and Mexico are still the top markets for Washington apples. Frank Lindsay, Northwest News Radio. Stay with us for the next segment. A cop shortage isn't really that bad. And here are some changes in the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office. But now for this story contributed by our own Manda Factor. Being a college student these days presents many challenges. In fact, here are some of the results of a new student survey. The survey was developed on behalf of the Washington Student Achievement Council and sent to students at 39 colleges and universities across the state last September. 38% of students experienced food insecurity in the last month. 34% of students experienced housing insecurity in the last year. 11% experienced homelessness in the last year. According to the Seattle Times, the survey also asked about other basic needs, including child care. Around 19% of students said they were a parent or a caregiver. Of those who needed child care, two-thirds said they couldn't afford to pay for it. Manda Factor, Northwest News Radio. I'm Mark Christopher, and you're listening to Northwest News this week, ending for the week of January 28th, available as a podcast at nwnewsradio.com, and right here on radio at AM 1000, FM 97.7, every week at this very time. We have so much more. You're listening to Northwest This Week. Let's keep it rolling here. Big changes are coming to the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office as Lisa Mannion takes the reins. 
major overhaul might not be strong enough to describe the changes Lisa Mannion unveiled on Tuesday and violent sex crimes near the top of her list. I do believe that these changes will increase the prosecution of rapes and sexual assaults and other sexual violence. The new King County prosecuting attorney inherits a backlog of 4,500 cases, but Mannion says her problems are not like those in Seattle. We have never stopped charging those cases. The court backlog is felony charges, but we still file felony charges every single day. Mannion is creating teams focused on gun violence, major traffic crimes, and those organized crimes smash and grab robbers. When we share notes with the city attorney's office, we can take those for greater accountability. The individuals who are systematically preying on businesses and putting small businesses out of business. She's also making sweeping staff changes. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. A state attorney general would be able to investigate and sue police or corrections agencies that violate state law. This is under a proposal in Olympia. The authority that would be granted under House Bill 1445 is similar to what the feds have when officers break the law on the job, so it would also require the AG to check with federal authorities to make sure there's no conflict with any investigations. Shelley Washington, whose 21-year-old nephew was killed by Clark County deputies, says two organizations asked for a federal investigation and got no response. If a department has a history of violating the civil rights of community members and doesn't change or fix it itself, someone must step in and stop the harm. Juliana Rowe with the Washington State Association of Counties says the intent is to force agencies to make corrections, but the bill would actually punish those agencies. This bill seems redundant at best to create another manner by which local governments can be sued for the same actions. Rowe says mediation rather than lawsuits would be a better way to go. A vote on the bill should come soon. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. Thank you, Ryan. Police departments across the nation struggling to recruit new officers. According to a new survey this past week, the state of Washington once again has the fewest law enforcement officers per capita. Let's break down the numbers here with Northwest News Radio's Carlene Johnson. The grim statistic comes from the Washington Association of Sheriffs and Police Chiefs. The group says that for over a dozen years, Washington has held that title, and currently the state has 500 fewer officers than a year ago. The police chief in Richland in the Tri-Cities told Keeper TV the backlash against police and riots in 2020, followed by police reform laws in 2021, led to a mass exodus of officers. Now, it's bad in other parts of the country, too. Kevin Davis is the police chief in Fairfax County. He spoke with ABC News last month. This police department's been around since 1940, and it's never had the vacancy rate that, that we have now, in spite of us doing more on the recruiting and retention end than we've ever done before. Another recent report shows Oregon is actually in worse shape than Washington when it comes to officers per capita. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio. It's all about keeping you informed and helping you catch up to some of the stories of the past week you might have missed. Another one here, should cities and counties be allowed to raise taxes to pay for police? Some in Olympia think so. Senate Bill 5361 would do just that, though any tax increase would be limited to 0.1% on the local sales tax and the money allocated solely to employing more law enforcement officers. Senator Jeff Holy, Republican of Cheney, sponsored the bill, and he says too many officers are simply leaving the force. And it's not just a matter of, uh, yes, it'd be nice to have, this is a must-to-have at this point. 
But not everyone likes the idea. Leslie Cushman of the Washington Coalition for Police Accountability testified against the bill. The intent section uses statistics about crime to draw a connection between law enforcement staffing levels and rates of crime. We haven't seen any evidence that there is a connection between the two. The bill has only had its first hearing. Jeff Pogel in Northwest News Radio. The Homish County prosecutors allege a falling out between friends may have led to the murder of a Marysville man. Prosecutors say Cole Wynn offered to apologize to Stephen Collins in person after a fight in December. He went to Collins' apartment on the night of January 2nd after texting him that afternoon. But Collins' girlfriend says he refused to hear the apology. Police say Wynn remained in the apartment building's parking lot and fatally shot Collins when he went to his car. The Everett Herald reports the medical examiner found three gunshot wounds on Collins, two in the back and one in his chest. Wynn now faces second-degree murder charges. Eric Heitz, Northwest News Radio. More than 20 people have been killed in mass shootings over the last week alone, one happening in Olympia. Manufacturer of Northwest News says it's growing and a disturbing trend. John Cohen is the former counterterrorism coordinator at the Department of Homeland Security. He tells the Morning News this trend began to emerge about 10 years ago. Where we are seeing an increase in mass casualty attacks and other acts of targeted violence by lone individuals who come to believe that violence is an acceptable way to express their anger, their sense of grievance, their ideological beliefs, their disagreement with others on matters of policy, politics, and government actions. Cohen says this is a societal problem, so what can be done to defuse the situation? We have found that uh, a lot of the violence we're seeing is being driven by online content that seeks to exacerbate the anger and the polarized nature of our society. It's not just esoteric, it really is a driving factor in a lot of the violence we're experiencing. So ratcheting down the anger of our society would be a pretty good step. He says law enforcement needs to be better trained and teamed up with mental health professionals. While it may not stop every case, it may help us intervene in, in, in some cases. Manda Factor, Northwest News Radio. Looking ahead to our next segment, Mad Cow Blood and Gene Muting. And this one we have, ever since Elon Musk took over Twitter, there has been far less moderation of hate speech, especially against the gay and Jewish communities. At the same time, though, there's a statistical correlation between online hate speech and real-world attacks. It was only last October that Elon Musk wrapped up this uh, deal to buy Twitter. What kind of statistics or data points have researchers focused on in that short period of time? Well, there's been a surge in, in many categories of hate speech, and people people have tracked that around the world. And things that are officially banned still, there's been a lot of usage of it. Uh, so there were there were a lot of early articles about the use of the N-word uh, going way up, and then you know Twitter flipped a switch and got rid of a lot of that. But that was because it got attention. Um, the, the latest research looks at variations of the word groomer, a lot of people get called groomers for just defending gay rights, but it, it means it's something very serious, which is, uh, you know, adults bent on seducing children. I think even people who wield the word groomer don't often mean it literally, but the new research shows that it, it often tracks with really vicious, you know, violent stuff in the real world, like the, the shootings at the uh, gay club in uh, Colorado a few months ago. Now, when you consider the, the use of hate speech on Twitter in the last few months, is this a, a record-breaking pace of, of anti-gay or anti-Semitic violence that, that is tracking along with it, or, or who tracks these data points? Well, so there are a number of groups that do it. The ADL, uh, which is largely a, a Jewish, you know, defense uh, nonprofit, tracks um, anti-Semitic incidents. There is uh, an outfit um, called the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project, which used to be tracking like political violence in third world countries. 
they started tracking stuff in the U.S. too. So, you know, it's hard to say the causal stuff is hard. Like, you know, uh, nobody is saying yet that the Twitter words cause this real world violence, but it does correlate in some ways. The biggest use of the word groomer was right after Musk said he was going to take over Twitter. And then right before uh, there were seven attacks in one day on gay people in the real world, according to this data project. It's hard to draw a firm scientific line, you know, between between these data points and what's happening in the real world. That's that's made obvious in this research. But there are a couple of examples where individuals tie their violence directly to, for example, Kanye West. Exactly. That is, while it's anecdotal, it, it's kind of undeniable that there is something happening here. So Kanye West hadn't tweeted on Twitter in a couple of years, and then he got uh, suspended from Instagram uh, and other platforms for vicious anti-Semitic stuff. And so he came back to Twitter and Musk tweeted like, welcome back. This is great. And then, of course, he went on this now famous rampage where he tweeted he's going to go death con three on Jewish people, you know, just blatant, you know, Jews are bad stuff. Uh, And then a couple of the anti-Semitic attacks, which have gone up in the real world in the last few months, cited Kanye, now known as Yee, uh, directly. There was a, a, a Jewish cemetery in Illinois with swastikas on it, and somebody also spray painted Kanye was right. And then there was a man in Central Park in December that was assaulted by somebody who was shouting Kanye 2024. Kanye, of course, you know, claiming that he's going to run for president. Really interesting research to dig into, and you can find much more about uh, this and more, like the uh, tie between online speech and U.S. street protests or even fighting in the Middle East. You can find that all online at WashingtonPost.com from reporter Joseph Men. A contributing story from Taylor Van Schuys here of Northwest News Radio. I'm Mark Christopher. It's Northwest News this week, ending January the 28th. Stay with us. You're listening to Northwest This Week with Mark Christopher. Welcome back. As it turns out, not all of your health data is protected under privacy laws, but there is a push in the state legislature to change that. In 1996, Congress passed the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, otherwise known as HIPAA. It protects the personal medical information of patients, covering doctors, insurance providers, and others. But what it didn't account for was the explosion of mobile health apps, many of which collect the same information. This leaves your data vulnerable to being sold or shared with people who may be learning more about you or targeting you. Democratic State Representative Vandana Slatter of Bellevue has introduced House Bill 1155 to correct that. Of particular concern among Democrats is that location data and period tracking apps could be used by states like Texas to prosecute women who leave the state to get an abortion. Republican State Representative Jim Walsh says he supports increasing patient privacy, but doesn't think the bill should focus so much on abortion rights. Jeff Pogel in Northwest News Radio. Right now, blood donation centers are now accepting people from European countries with mad cow disease. Now, before you panic, John Lobertini here at Northwest News Radio is going to explain. After decades of being turned away, people like James Bancroft are giving blood again. Just going to touch you back just a little bit, James. Bancroft from Manchester, England, was among the first in line after the FDA changed its policy. I never actually thought that I would see this deferral get lifted in my lifetime. That deferral was 
was a ban for anyone who spent time or received a blood transfusion in mad cow centers like the UK, France, or Ireland going as far back as 1980. Dr. Kirsten Alcorn is co-chief medical officer at Bloodworks Northwest. An updated scientific review at the FDA and they determined that some of those risk factors were no longer relevant. And that means more blood donors, 1% more we're told at a time when blood is in short supply. And this is more than personal for Bancroft. He's worked in the blood business for 20 years. 10,000 donors, that's potentially 30,000 more blood products. And better yet, more donors who give blood more often. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. Another story we had for this week ending January the 28th. Deep inside our genetic code, there are all kinds of secrets waiting to be discovered. In fact, just recently, researchers found that we still carry genes for a full coat of chimp-like body hair. But aside from a few of us, why aren't we all walking around with thick carpets of hair sprouting out of the back of our shirt collars? It all goes back to gene muting, and controlling that mute button could have profound implications. Mark Johnson with a story that we had to grab here from the Washington Post. Mark, how did researchers stumble across these muted genes linked to body hair? Well, what's really interesting is they lined up the genetic blueprints of about 62 different mammals, and they looked for places that were common to them, places where animals that don't have full coats of body hair have very similar sort of genetic makeups. One of the things that we don't realize is that our DNA is very similar to a lot of other animals. We share 99% of our DNA with chimpanzees, 85% with mice. So you can't just line up our blueprints and look for places where there are common shifts. In fact, you and I aren't all that dramatically different from from cows. So how might the same way of comparing these human genes to whales or mole rats or whatever extend or improve our lives? Well, it's interesting you bring up the naked mole rat. It's, I believe, the only animal that doesn't get cancer. So I think biologists and geneticists are very eager to find out what changes the naked mole rat evolved with that protect it from cancer. I mean, if it's some genes, maybe we can manipulate the same genes in humans. And bowhead whales, it's, it's longevity. Of all mammals, the bowhead whales live 200 years, so more than twice what humans live. You know, there may be secrets in their genes that will tell us how to uh, improve our own longevity. So I followed the link through your article at WashingtonPost.com to look through the study itself. There are a lot of citations to other studies from the last decade, one even tying one of these hair growth genes to tooth development. How quickly are scientists making these kinds of uh, genetic discoveries? Actually, it's been a lot faster in the last few years. The technology that sequences genomes, gene sequencing technology has just increased at uh, warp speed. Uh, it took us, you know, eight or nine years to do the human genome. And that was in like 2001, 2000, and then updated in 2003. But by 2011, there was a hospital in, in Kansas City that did an entire human genome in 48 hours. Wow. So, and, and that was just using one machine compared to 600 machines used for uh, for the human genome. And finally, Mark, I think I know the answer to this last question. But for those of us, myself included, who may have outgrown the hair on top of our heads, does finding these genes lead to a hair loss silver bullet? Well, I'm in the same boat with you. I'm waiting for that silver bullet. I, I, I think that these things tend to translate into therapies 
slower than we would like, but there is hope. They can certainly look at the genes that are important in hair growth. They all have something in common. They uh, help produce the protein keratin, which is important for the shaft of the hair and also for like fingernails and things like that. So it should lead to lines of research. I mean, Anybody who wants to make uh, billions and billions of dollars should be uh, right out there now searching for a baldness cure. There's money to be made. No kidding. Mark Johnson with us on Northwest News Radio, reporter for The Washington Post. And you can find his story on this research online at WashingtonPost.com. Thank you, Taylor Van Sice, for contributing that story. Washington Congresswoman Kathy McMorris Rogers now chairs the powerful House Energy Committee. The Spokane Republican is steering the discussion away from renewable sources and toward exploiting fossil fuels in the name of energy security. An energy roundtable chaired by McMorris Rogers featured voices favoring traditional energy sources, including Dr. Edmund Schweitzer III, founder of Pullman-based Schweitzer Engineering Laboratories. He denies energy is a liberal or a conservative issue. Whether you're a D or an R, we're all plugging into the same wall plugs. The electricity coming out of those plugs, though, is still more often produced from carbon-emitting sources than from renewables. Another panelist, David Gatti, trade and security expert at the University of Georgia, says only those traditional sources can guarantee U.S. energy stability. A U.S. energy transition predominantly toward renewables will result in an industrial base with fewer resources, fewer energy technologies, which translates to less diversity, less flexibility, and less capacity to respond to economic and geopolitical disturbances. McMorris Rogers herself said little, except to promote restoring energy security to the center of U.S. energy policy. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. Have you been finding yourself weak at compliments in life? How about an app for that? Hold on, we'll get to that story in our next segment. But let's tell you about the world's first hydrogen-powered plane, which has begun testing in Moses Lake. Kathy O'Shea of Northwest News Radio. California-based Universal Hydrogen successfully spun up the propeller on the plane's electric motor built by Everett-based MagnaX and are proceeding with ground testing this week. GeekWire reports MagnaX and Seattle-based Aerotech are assisting with readying the converted turboprop for initial flight tests later this year. Universal Hydrogen says hydrogen is the only true zero-carbon fuel for aviation since it's made from water and its only emission is water. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio. Every week we help you catch up to the top stories of the past week. You want more depth to the story? Maybe you only got a headline. Remember, we are here every week at this same time to help you catch up. You're listening to Northwest News This Week. You're listening to Northwest This Week, and now Mark Christopher. Let's continue. Concerns over pedestrian safety could soon make it illegal at certain intersections to turn right on a red. The bill would ban the free right on red near schools, hospitals, playgrounds, libraries, senior centers, or anywhere else. Local jurisdictions decide a free right turn compromises pedestrian safety. At most intersections, the free right would remain legal. That's a compromise compared to the complete free right on red ban enacted in Cambridge, Massachusetts last fall. There, Peter Robinson tells WBZ News he wished the city had taken a more measured approach. In any place where 
people feel that it shouldn't exist, they could just address it one intersection at a time. Children and those in wheelchairs would be a primary beneficiary of a change in our state's law. Supporters say today's high-seated SUVs make it difficult to see pedestrians below the level of the car's front end. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. Teenagers saying nice things about other teens isn't a regular occurrence in today's social media. But we found out here from Brian Calvert here at Northwest News Radio, there is one app that's trying to change that. And to fully understand it, you have to understand the lingo. 11th grade student Mitch Kate Goldenthal first defines what it means to gas someone in this context. It means gassing your friend up, which which is basically just a term which is like giving a person a compliment or making them feel good or like boosting them up. That's helpful to know when talking about the newest teenage water cooler. Gas is a new, very popular social media app that uses a network of high school students from around where you're living. This app is basically a version of like a poll. It's based on giving compliments to people and getting compliments from people who are in your high school. The gas app works on several levels, but its true strength is fulfilling one of the basic needs of most teenagers. We just have such a need for validation because of like our training with social media. The student says the attaboys keep him coming back. It's starting to just not be satisfied anymore by like Instagram and Snapchat and stuff. And so just this app where it's just you scrolling and just getting validation, even if it's just so fake and ungenuine, it's just something that is like so alluring. But there's another side to gas, some argue a darker side. And that's being said because the app caters to fulfilling a teenager's need for validation, saying it actually preys on these kids. You see, downloading the app and even participating is free. But the moment you want to find out exactly who gave you the compliment and what teen would not want to know this, it is now pay for play. And it's it's not cheap. It's paying $8.99 a week. Mitch tells CBC Radio he fell for it. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people feel very, very alert into it. As word gets out about the price, many teens tire of gas and move on. But even our 11th grader is savvy enough to know that if this app figured out how to tap into the insecurities and needs of those requiring daily validation, this battle is far from over. And the more we see these social media apps pop up, the more they're going to perfect how to get high schoolers hooked. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. As we're right in the middle of NFL playoffs here, headed for a Super Bowl, and we've got quite a hockey team still doing great on the ice. We've had another great loss among sportscasters here in the Northwest. We'll get to that story next. The company behind the wildly popular artificial intelligence programs chat, GPT, and Dolly has a major new investor, Microsoft. Tom Hutler went after this one. How much money is uh, Microsoft going to throw behind OpenAI? Well, Microsoft and OpenAI are not saying how much money the latest investment is for. It's been reported that it's in the neighborhood of $10 billion, which would value OpenAI at close to $30 billion. Uh, again, they're not confirming the terms. They're just confirming that Microsoft has indeed poured a substantial new multi-year, multi-billion dollar investment into the startup. You mentioned in your uh, piece, this is a long way from uh, our old friend Clippy, the assistant who would help you learn Microsoft Word back in the 90s. How does Microsoft plan to utilize open AI technology? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the easiest ways to understand how Microsoft could directly integrate open AI's tools into software that we're all familiar with is to think about Microsoft Office. So you can imagine Clippy, the, the paperclip, used to notice that you were trying to write a letter and it would mm-hmm. say, oh, would you like help formatting the letter? Well, 
ChatGPT could probably write the whole letter for you, right? Uh-huh. You need to check very carefully as to what it said and make sure it said what you wanted it to. But that's the kind of leap in technology we're, we're potentially talking about here. Uh, Microsoft has already, by the way, uh, they've already invested in OpenAI in the past. They've already integrated some of these tools. So in Microsoft Excel, for years, if you work with the spreadsheets in that program, there's a button now that says Analyze Data, and it uses some of those large language AI models to uh, give you an analysis based on the data that's in your table. I think we could see more stuff like that in Microsoft's products. But that's actually not the only win for Microsoft here. They're also looking at selling these services to other businesses. Wow. Clippy often grew exasperated with me. Impact on competitors like Google or Meta? Yeah, I mean, and that's where the big business impact of this deal is really is in, is in the realm of cloud services. So Microsoft's Azure cloud business is competing with Google and with Amazon, and one of its selling points increasingly is AI. Look, if you work with us, we're going to give you access to these tools like ChatGPT and Dolly 2, these cutting-edge AI tools that you can use in your business in all sorts of ways. That has Google, by all accounts, concerned. Google mm-hmm. has been worried for a while now about ChatGPT because you know, potentially people could just type in a question to ChatGPT and get it get an answer, although whether it's true, again, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's very hard to verify. Um, I think that's less of a threat to Google's search business than the idea of Microsoft being, you know, kind of infringing on Google's reputation as the AI company, right? I mean, if Microsoft can also be the AI company, that takes away one of the advantages for Google, uh, particularly in its cloud business. This is a big move for Microsoft. We'll see what happens. Will, thanks for your reporting. As always, you can read Will's piece at WashingtonPost.com. That's Will Oremus. I'm Mark Christopher. You're listening to Northwest News This Week, covering the stories of the week ending January 28th. And we have a few more. Stay with us. Northwest This Week continues. Now, by now, you're probably hearing a lot of stories. You're scratching your head. You didn't hear the first time around. Not to worry. There are often a few stories here that I missed, and I work here. That's why we're pleased to bring you this program each and every week. Let's get to these stories now. A new study from the University of Washington has doctors encouraging pregnant women to keep up on their COVID-19 vaccines. The study, published in the Lancet Medical Journal, finds serious maternal complications were reduced by 74% by a complete vaccine and over 90% when followed by regular boosters. UW-OBGYN Dr. Michael Gravett urges pregnant women to keep up on their boosters. Unfortunately, uh, there's a much increased risk of death if you uh, are infected with COVID-19 during pregnancy. The increased risk of death uh, ranges from 10 to 20 fold. And in the most recent analysis just published last week, it was about an eight fold increased risk of death if you're pregnant. It's a really significant problem during pregnancy. That is why they are encouraged by the study's results. Marina Rockinger, Northwest News Radio. Somebody who follows sports, whatever the team, say half of the fun is having the right announcer there at the microphone to call the play-by-play. A Northwest sports broadcasting legend left us in the past week. Bill Schwartz tells us about the man who put Rip City in the Rose City. Bill? Fresh out of the Marine Corps, a young man from Pennsylvania who grew up with a stutter launched a legendary broadcasting career in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I was a disc jockey, a sports guy, a, a, the booth announcer. I was the SO reporter. I did the weather. But as Bill Shonley remembered with Rip City podcast host Dwight Jaynes, his real sports roots blossomed on AM 1000 in Seattle. In 1955, 
and with KOMO Radio and TV. And there was another guy that worked with me. We both, uh, he just got out of college. He was a cougar. His name was Keith Jackson. Roller Derby, pro wrestling, Seattle Totems hockey, Bill Shonley covered it all. He partnered with Bob Robertson for Washington Husky football. And in 1969, along with Jimmy Dudley, was a voice for Seattle's first Major League Baseball team. But after only one season, the pilots moved. I could have gone to Milwaukee with the team and they were going to hire me back there. I decided to stay in Seattle because my radio and TV work was really going very well. Many believe things happen for a reason. Out of the blue, longtime friend Harry Glickman had a tempting job offer in Portland. Sean, how'd you like to do NBA basketball? I said, that sounds pretty good. I just had a Major League Baseball job, and I really thought that I was going to be in baseball for the rest of my life. For 28 years in a row, Bill Shonley called every Blazer game imaginable. During the inaugural season, Portland guard Jim Barnett made a long-distance shot in a comeback win over the Lakers. Shonley blurted out, Rip City, all right. The catchphrase caught fire during the Blazers' 1977 championship season. For another 19 years, Bill Shonley was the team's beloved ambassador. Last Saturday, with wife Dottie at his side, Bill Shonley passed away at age 93. I'm Bill Swartz, Northwest News Radio. A busy newsroom. Proof of it was just listening to this program here of the recap of the stories of this past week. 24-7 attention, you bet, right here at Northwest News Radio. We hope you enjoyed this program and we tell your friends, your co-workers, and your neighbors that they too can catch up right here with us each and every week. And of course, we got a podcast. Northwest News This Week is heard, in fact, every week at this time here at AM 1000, FM 97.7. The podcast you'll find at our website, nwnewsradio.com. Pull it a cast, life beat, and even Puget Sound Now, other featured podcasts you'll find. And if you enjoy this program as a podcast, we hope you'll take a moment and share a rating and review at Apple Podcast. And we thank you for doing that. Northwest News This Week, produced by Bill O'Neill, editor and tech advisor is Painter Webb. I'm Mark Christopher, and on behalf of all of us here at Northwest News Radio, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. See you next time.